You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen Podcast. I am Puna Verma on the show today. We're finding out about a new gelato place that has a link to female empowerment. Courtney's updating us on what restaurants to watch out for in 2024 and menu anxiety, apparently, with Gen Z's. Frying Pan Adventures have got a new tour taking place at Global Village and we're finding out the benefits of being in a co-kitchen. Make sure you tune into Farmer's Kitchen every Friday. And from me and the team, a very happy new year. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. So we're talking gelato and female empowerment, but how do the two actually link together? Well, let's ask the CEO of Nakati Gelato. She's with me now, Marlu Snippenberg uh, from Curtain Hospitality. She's the CEO, actually. Welcome to the show, Marlu Thank you very much for having me. So tell me a little bit about yourself, because I went on to the Curtain Hospitality. I was like, they don't just deal with ice cream. <laughs> you know, there's a lot going True. on. What is your background, your journey to become the CEO of this actual hospitality company? Uh, for 10 years uh, with Hilton, uh, big, large operating companies. I left that in 2013 partnered with a Venetian Contessa just to explore something. Excuse me, a Venetian Contessa. How how does that happen? Uh, Very spontaneous, I would say. I moved to uh, Italy after Hilton. Did you move to Venice? I moved to Venice for two years. Yes, it was as romantic and as beautiful as you could imagine. It is. Um, Inspiring, met incredible people. And started this entrepreneurial journey for a year and a half, which was great because I have a pure corporate background. And then falling into something entrepreneurial, developed a line of Prosecco for uh, Italy, Chicago, New York, developed a line of halal pasta sauces for Italy at that time. Um, And then started pretty much this with the owner of Curtin Hospitality um, nine years ago. So it's a it's a big group because I thought, okay, it's from they're doing ice creams and F and B. Tell us some of the projects that you actually work on because they're pretty big. Yes, so we um, we developed a mixed use lifestyle operating company, um, really operating hotels, residences, um, service departments or extended stay, but also office spaces, business hubs. Um, under our own brands. So the brands are called The House. So that's The House Hotel, The House Residence, Cloud7, Hotel and Residence. The business hub is called Our Space. And then we developed a line of restaurant concepts that are simple and easy to plug into our projects, but also to stand alone. Our focus when we started was really the GCC. Um, and you look at a lot of lifestyle operating companies, the kind of natural first locations are London, Paris, Barcelona, kind of sexy destinations. Mm. When you look at the GCC, 67% of the population is under 35. So you have a very young target audience, but you also have a very young investor audience. That's true. You have a great knowledge of people that have traveled well, but there's a true openness to have something innovative, new, different concepts. And we were at the right time, at the right place, found visionary owners who wanted to have projects of that, that we developed pretty much. Um, so we're now open in Jordan and Aqaba since three years. We're open in Saudi Arabia. So we opened um, Alula there. 
You uh, opened in Alula or you opened Alula? We 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 have a Project Cloud 7 open in Alula. Oh, it looks amazing, that area. It's beautiful. And we're actually having another opening now, uh, mid of January, Dartantura, the house hotel, which is the oldest site in Alula. It'll have 30 keys, absolutely positioned luxury. And you go back in time yet with all of the conveniences of, of the modern world. Now, did you tell me in the green room that you travel how many days in a year or months? 275. 275 days in a year? Yes. I mean, does that get exhausting or is it just this passion that you have because all the projects you take care of? You know, when you when you live by passion, adrenaline, you're building a team and a company, you don't really think about the number of days or the hours or anything else. It's been such an exciting journey. We have 11 projects open today. We're doubling that next year. We have 50 plus projects in the pipeline. And all of these are different because every single one of our projects is bespoke. So we look at the area. We look at the community. We look at the building if it's there. And we're not demanding owners to make changes just by brand standards. We give them brand guidelines direct them with that and the entire team builds a concept and a bespoke story for every single project. I was looking at, it's funny because I wanted to go to Turkey and I saw that you have hotels in Turkey, you also in Georgia, uh, around the world. What are you developing here? Anything future for the future here? So in the UAE, we have uh, Jibble Jace coming up. Um, It's a it's a eco resort built by a local owner, um, reusing the stone of the Jibble Jace mountain that's there. He's developed the first mock-up villa, um, which looks incredible and really imports quite little when it comes to materiality. Um, We're working on a project in Dubai, which we haven't announced yet, but I hope to announce in the next couple of months, which will be very much focused on sustainability, kind of a a first time done project, which is hard to do for Dubai, but a first time done with proven technologies, sustainability elements on the green side, not just on the community and the social side is what we will be launching here. Mm. And then we just attended COP28 with Nakati, the gelato brand you referred to uh, in the beginning. Um, And there we're really looking to expand Nakati in the UAE. Plus, Dubai is coming now at a point where they're looking at conversions, um, using buildings that are there to convert them to so recycling the buildings, Recycling basically. the buildings, yeah. And there we are can the, play are, great. Are these r- old buildings or buildings that have a good, like, um, you know, good base and foundation, but are just empty? Both. Oh, interesting. And there's a, there's a lot to do here still in both segments. There is still quite a lot of new build going on, but there's still today the market for lifestyle projects, tailored projects that are kind of... Uh, integrating retail um, with the whole guest journey with potentially healthcare. F&B in hotels here is very common. Mm. But having really business spaces and then having a combination of residential and hotel 
is still there's very little. So it's interesting because if you if you remember back in the day with uh, the area of Soho in New York, how it was all warehouses. Oops. So this is very similar to what's happening in our course since yes. I've been here over 16, 17 years. And I heard recently as well there were some residences opening in Alcors. I was like, "What?" So there's, there's, it's those kind of areas, really, isn't it? There are there are empty buildings that are unused. Yes, correct. And for example, Alcors, when you look at what the Old Circle family has done over the years, when they started their project in in Alcours, the belief that that would ever work yeah. and the support was everybody was questioning. Why, you know, can it, etc. Today, yeah. they've expanded in three phases. They continue to expand, but they're building up a really strong community of like-minded people. Mm. The moment that you add residences to that, there will be even more people to come to that. And so that taking that back to what we're doing, it's exactly that. There are so many neighborhoods today in Dubai, which wasn't there yeah. 15 years ago, right? Yeah. You want to live in a certain area. How do you build up those communities? How do you bring all of these people together? Hospitality is such an easy sack way to do that. And that's why we develop bespoke. That's why we don't come with a book of brand stand- standards, but work with the owners to make sure that the vision of the of the location, but also the project really comes to life. True. Right, we're going to be back with Malus and we're going to be talking about a new gelato brand called Nakati. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. With me is Malus Nippenberg. She is the CEO of Curtain Hospitality. Now, tell me about Nakati gelato what is all this and how does it link to women empowerment so we launched a gelato brand a year ago um and 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 where was it launched originally originally launched in saudi arabia that is where we launched the first branch and we branched out from that uh, with seven locations now to fixed locations and for the rest we have floating cards uh, cards going through events but the whole idea was, and you can see that with everything we do in Curtain Hospitality, purpose or reason is always a driving factor. Um, and gelato, from an entrepreneurial perspective, is quite a simple concept to set up, to have your first business in, etc. Mm-hmm. So the way we launched Nagati is saying we're developing a fantastic quality product so it's premium gelato all the flavors are developed for the region specified for the country um, driven by female entrepreneurs and what we're working on at the moment and that's also the way we're going to expand in the UAE so in the UAE we just had our first card at COP28 we are still at Winter Wonderland as we speak mm-hmm. um, on the expo grounds for anybody who hasn't gone to Winter Wonderland yet. Um, and we're working in Saudi Arabia, but the same we're looking for in the UAE is working with a family office to set up 30 cart locations and 20 kiosk locations in one go. Having them run by female entrepreneurs. Amazing. So giving women in this case, the opportunity to own their first business. Yeah. And now anybody would say it could be a man, it could be a woman, it could be anything. Absolutely. But you can't be 
everything to everybody. No. And sometimes it's much easier to focus on one direction and really bring that to life. So where we're working on at the moment, there's when you look culturally in, in Islam and when you look culturally in the region, people often have budgets for doing good. And that's either donations. And in this case, we're saying set up this business at a, at a big level, support 50 female entrepreneurs in one go. We will take over all of the operations. We'll bring these women together that can share their experience, share knowledge, support each other, have each other's backs, etc. We had launched Nagati actually with a female entrepreneur in Saudi who was with us for a year and a half, just left to set up her own business. Mm. So a great success story just in the first year and a half, because that's really what this project is about. It's about good gelato, local premium flavors, yet supporting female entrepreneurs to experience what it means to owning a business. Mm. But therefore, we're looking at this at scale, because unless you have mentorship, you can get together. Exactly. You can, you know, form a community. Mm. You can then decide how to, you know, grow your own business from there. Yeah. And what when you say locally source, I mean, you obviously you you're living between Dubai and Italy and Italy is known for its gelato. So did you get inspiration from there, from Italy? Big time. So <laughs> any the, secrets? The the um the bases are still Italian. All of the machinery are Italian because the Italian gelato is just Did they come with Italian servers? <laughs> <laughs> uh can do at some places. I think I think uh, you might get more customers <laughs> that way, Marlus. <laughs> well, actually when you look nowadays here, um where it should Attracting by the female entrepreneurship piece. Not sure it does exactly the same <laughs> as the Italian charm, but yes, definitely is a great driver. But when you look at sourcing locally, right, is let's take Sabadi, the, the yogurt, right? the way that we developed that flavor to many people who taste it, mm. they have this, this, kind of reliving the past of when they were a kid and had a bowl of yogurt with sugar and bread on it after dinner. That's how, you know, the flavors have been developed. When we just say something as simple as lemon mint. Yeah, it yeah, actually, totally. And this I true flavor of lemon mint, it's so hard to replicate. But when you take a good Italian base and then adjust the recipes for local palais with local ingredients... You really get that idea. So, so some ideas for you if you bring it here would be what camel ice cream, zatar ice cream. So zatar we've uh, we've uh, experienced with camel milk. We have uh, worked and we are working on a project at the moment. So camel milk because it has so much more of a full flavor, it works great. And in gelato. It's extremely healthy for you as well, camel milk. Very it's true. Very healthy. Well, listen, thank you so much. If you want to find out more about uh, Malus, check out Curtain Hospitality. I did, and, I, and I, I'm going to delve more into it because it's very interesting. It's K-E-R-T-E-N. Malus, what are you doing for New Year's? I am going to stay in Dubai for New Year's, Not going actually. to Italy. No, I just came back from Italy and Spain mm. um, and I will be doing a sunny new year in Dubai this year. Wow. We have so many openings going on um, at the moment. So we're just 
just this year, we're opening another eight projects. Oh, you're we're a busy, busy lady you are. We're duplicating, so it's just good to be close. Do you have any close. New Year's resolutions or do you not do them? Good question. I think uh, continuing to enjoy living what we're doing and just being thankful every day. Oh, that's lovely. Um, and for the rest, I think that's it. And yeah. That's I think lovely. we're all hope for peace, right? So Absolutely. Peace and gelato. Great. Thank you so much, Walus. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. With me now, we have our lovely food reviewer, Courtney Brandt, who is going to update us and tell us the news about what to look out for in 2024. How's your Christmas, Courtney? It has been perfectly well. I love the holidays in Dubai. How about you? Well, it's well. I grew up in the cold in the Christmas. So for me, it never truly feels like Christmas when I'm in the hot weather. And it's weird because if I was in England, I'd be like, oh, I wish I was on the beach. You know how the grass is always greener or the snow is always greener or whiter, I should say. It's one of those feelings just missing out. But it's okay. It was great. It was great. Now, listen, tell me what you're looking forward to and what we need to look out for in 2024 when it comes to F&B, rest restaurants, cafes opening? We've got tons to look forward to in 2024 in Dubai. I Just to, off the top of my list, I'm going to start with a favorite. We know Pitfire is around town. They've got a licensed property going in at Dubai Hills, which I am really looking forward to trying. Mm. Uh, there is going to be, we are having some truly uh, epic chefs coming to town, including uh, Bjorn Fransson. He's got two that he will be opening at the Atlantis. Uh, we might know Chef Akmal. He's got probably the coolest named one. How do you like this? Osterio Funk Coolio. What, it's what? an Italian. Funk Coolio, all one word. Uh, it's an Italian kind of vibe, and it's probably the one I want to check out the most. Nice. Okay. Anything I've else? Got, um, uh, yes, I've got Paco Morales, who is a very well-known Spanish chef. Yes. He is opening Cabu. Uh, or yeah. Prabhu, it starts with a Q. And the last one, we have the world's number one chef, uh, Dabiz Munoz. He is opening his own version of Street XO right here in Dubai. And I've heard it's going to be in Q1. And nice, nice. Now, listen, there was some article coming up that you sent us about Gen Z's being scared about food. Tell me more about that. So this one caught my eye a few weeks ago, and it comes down to Gen Z being like they polled 2000 people, but 86 percent of those who were in Gen Z, they have menu anxiety. And that comes from high prices and the fear of not liking what they ordered and maybe perhaps even being a bit scared to talk to waiters. I'm glad I am very much a millennial. <laughs> do, do, do you think this is because they, everybody now, especially during COVID, started like ordering online as an, even in the restaurant, you would not talk to the waiter, the menu would be given to you and you just, you know, click on it? I think 100% you're right. I think that for there's a lot of modern conveniences out there and if you know i guess if you grew up in a space where you did not have to communicate in that way why would you i love my takeaway as much as the next person but i will always look forward to well-trained staff and servers and having them be proud about the menu so maybe gen z are just going to the wrong place also a big thing for me is i don't like men i remember going to america into new into new york and i have a picture to this day um of this menu i think it had 200 food items on it was like a deli and it gave me anxiety right 
I just didn't know what to eat. And usually when I look at a menu, I like smaller menus. And the thing that pops out first is usually where my instinct is going. And I, I, what, what's your take on that? Because I don't like too much choice on a menu. I'm with you. Um, if Okay, and I am that person, not just because of what I do for a living, but also I like a little research before I go into a restaurant. So I will look ahead, but I'm with you that I want to be confident in what I'm ordering and especially going out now is expensive. So when you get overwhelmed or intimidated or I should have ordered this or whatever it is, it doesn't really leave you with a nice feeling. So I am very pro do your research in advance, look online, see what people are saying, reach out to experts like myself. We'll usually have the right suggestion for you. Okay. So now the, the next topic is a good one because I'm completely and utterly guilty of this. Um, whenever I'm, a, and I love cooking shows and I love cooking shows which have a travel influence. You, you name them, I watch them all. And this is the God honest truth. Before I watch them, I have to have a snack or some food in front of me. I cannot watch a food cooking show without eating, right? So how do they influence the way we eat? It's really interesting. This was an article uh, that was featured in The Guardian. And it's essentially that what we watch kind of really does have an impact on how we cook. And we could look for an example with that if we take, unfortunately, meat or traditional protein, because around the world, people might actually be vegetarian or not feature proteins as heavily. But if you watch like a top chef or a master chef, you will see a lot of meat featured. And that kind of feeds back into us, no pun intended, watching it. And um, so it's a really interesting kind of version. We also watch what we aspire to be. Uh, so, you know, I don't, you know, I love, I love uh, chef's table, for example. Oh, I love that's that. Where I like to yeah. But maybe some people are more like a Guy Fieri, you know, like diners, you know, drive-ins. And the barbecue dives. ones. Maybe yeah. that's your, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, well, maybe you're in a, go ahead. No, no, you were talking about the chef's table. Did you ever see the one about the Japanese chef who um, opened a pizza restaurant? And it was, it, the way that was filmed and the fact that it was so unusual for Japanese to have pizza and the delicacy, it was like a samurai, watching a samurai making a pizza. I, I stopped it and I, no lie, I ordered a pizza because it was just... I know, I... I know which episode and we did the exact same thing. And then you think I should learn how to make dough and I need to put a yes. pizza together. So I am inspired by these or you see toppings. There was one on the Food Network one time and I think it was a, a famous British chef. It was Jamie Oliver. He was making this one dish. We did the exact same thing. We stopped it. We went to the market, mm. got those ingredients and then we made it right there. And it was epic. But, and I was so happy that we, we did it. But Jamie I, Oliver, you should be proud. Yeah, I mean, I think also, though, like you, I enjoy cooking. So it's like when I get inspiration, I will, I will definitely try it. As long as it doesn't take three hours, you know, I'm happy to do it. Yeah. Right, let's talk about um, cleaning. One of my friends the other day, she cleaned my kitchen um, after I cooked a massive lunch for us all. It was spotless. And I've never seen, because sometimes we have a cleaner that comes in. And I was like, I've never seen the kitchen this clean. And I didn't realize she loved it that much. I was like, can you do this quite regularly? I hate it. I don't find it therapeutic, but apparently it is. Yes, I am with you. Um, I would rather delegate that yes. service. But essentially, it was this, uh, I have a newsletter, and it was the most clicked link last week for me, which is 
by cleaning the kitchen, I'm kind of saving my soul. And it's an essay from a mother. She's a mother of two young children and this time to herself to, to just put that kitchen back in order. She has a whole like playlist and how she does it. It's for that one time in that one space, everything is where it's supposed to be. And this is like a way for her to kind of ground herself every week. And I think we all probably have something, but there's something about the kitchen and the specific, you know, these are the dishes and I have to clean the oven and that sort of thing. It was very well written. For my therapy is cooking whilst putting some music on in the background and having no one in the kitchen. So and then I prefer someone to clean the kitchen for me. So you just got to find your own therapy, right? 100%. 100%. Okay, and finally, um, why are we talking about the world's stinkiest cheese? I, you know, I love a good superlative. I love this. So this is, um, it's a Scottish uh, cheesemaker, Mr. Rory Stone. He runs Highland Fine Cheeses, and he essentially just put this out there as the world's stinkiest cheese. It's a, you know, there's nothing really super special about it. Originally, supermarkets didn't pick it up. They thought it was just kind of like a fad or a trend. But then it started selling really well in independent kind of groceries. And he's seen a lot of success. Um, so I don't know if it's actually, you know, like on the Guinness, you know, who, who decides what's the most stinky. Yeah. But somewhere in Scotland, you could go try it. Amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, um, what are you doing on New Year's Day? Are you starting the day in a nice way? I am. So I am recently moved to a new villa and we are hosting our own brunch. And I love making up uh, brunch foods. If I'm making food, I love the sweet and the savory. So that's what I'm going to do. Okay, amazing. So listen, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm wishing you a great happy new year. And we hope to see you in the studio next year. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. With me now is a lady I haven't met for years. Her name is Arva Ahmed and she is the lady behind the frying pan adventures. How are you doing, Arva? Very, very good. How about yourself? Good. How was your Christmas? Um... It was good, actually. We were at Expo and I had a fantastic Emirati meal for Christmas. Uh, Alfanar did a really fantastic job, I have to say. Oh, that's nice. What was on the menu? Well, I mean, they had their regular menu, uh, but it was nice because you could sort of walk around. um, You could walk around their little winter city that they had built up. And there was a stall that was giving out these wonderful cherries covered with chocolate. So you could just kind of sample your way through, uh, get your little one to decorate a cookie and then eat it up behind her back. And then you had Alfanar and they had some really juicy chicken kebabs uh, as well as lamb machboos, which is one of my personal uh, favorites when it comes to Emirati food. And they did it spot on. You can tell you're such a foodie, just the way you're describing the food. And it's, I'm like, oh my God, I'm hungry now. Listen, what are you doing New Year's Eve? Anything to do with food around that? So I typically never do anything on New Year's Eve because it's just, too stressful and too hectic. But Mm. what I like to do is with my little five-year-old, and we did this last year, we're going to be doing it again. We wake up super early on um, the first. I'm very much all about like early rising. That's just the kind of personality I am. And we will drive out to Emirates Biofarm. And they have a new, they have sort of a New Year's 
brunch, like a farm to table situation. And they take you out on a tractor tour and you're just surrounded by fresh produce and fresh air. And there's no better way that I want to start the year. Yeah. You know what? I like starting off the new year doing something. Sometimes I'll go and do yoga on the beach um, at my local spa at Talese and just be by the ocean. You know, starting off the new year in a fresh way seems really nice compared to when we're in our 20s and we woke up like two in the afternoon. (laughs) Yes, I am. Do you you think it's just old age, Arva? Do you think it's it's not wisdom? I think it's just old age because we can't do it anymore. Is that our excuse? I I like to believe that it's wisdom. I think (laughs) it's the right way to start the year, high on energy. You see, I I can't imagine us both at 21 going, oh, one day I'm going to wake up and go to a bio farm at 7am on New (laughs) Year's Day. I know, I know. But guess who's going to have the better food? Yes, that's true. That's true. We've just wised up much later in life, but it's good. We have to get there eventually. Now, let's talk about um, a little bit about Frying Pan Adventures itself. For those who don't know, tell everyone how long you've been around and exactly what you do. Sure. So we are going to turn 11 in January. We've been around since 2013. And we are a company that does walking food tours with a focus on old Dubai because my sister Farida and I have grown up in Dubai and we're very committed to showcasing a very different side of the city than that very glitzy, glamorous image that typically gets associated with Dubai. A lot of people live in Dubai for a couple of years and they leave or visit Dubai and they leave saying Dubai has no culture and we are on a mission to change that especially through food and stories and communities. And there's just no more universal language, like the language that gets people to really open up, just breaks the ice instantly and gets people to connect than food. And that is what we do. Okay, so how do you pick where, like, are there different tours accordingly? Or do you have one specific one that everyone jumps on and goes around? We have Two main tours, which are the ones that we sell. The Middle Eastern Food Pilgrimage is our longest standing food tour, which actually runs in the neighborhood where Frida and I have lived since 1989. We still live in the same neighborhood even till today. And you're eating basically Palestinian, Iraqi. We go to our childhood baklava shop. You're having a Syrian-style shawarma. And it's not just eating. It's really all about the sharing of the stories and the culture. You know, it's about making the food come alive. And in a lot of cases, because we have relationships with these places for such a long time, they, for example, one of the places allows us backdoor access into the kitchen so we can have the kanafe, the Palestinian cheese pie, uh, the kanafe nebulsie made from scratch right in front of us. And that's a whole other experience. So that's our longest standing one. The other one is a mix of sightseeing as well as food. It happens in the souks. It's our Dubai souks and Creekside food walk. And essentially, we will show you one of the most historic yet touristy parts of town, but in the least touristy way possible. So we'll take you into the back alleys and you'll experience tastings from across the oldest communities that call Dubai their home, specifically the Iranian, Indian, and of course, the indigenous Emirati. And do you mainly base it then around the old areas of Dubai or do you go anywhere in the new areas? Uh, so we do primarily sort of on a on a weekly basis the tours you will see these two are going to be in old Dubai but then we also have in the past and continue to do programming in other areas uh, in two ways. One is we'll come up with a limited edition tour that we'll do in some other area for example we just had a very very sold out Three times, totally sold out. One of them actually sold out in less than 10 hours. Uh, Our international city noodle tour, 
So basically mm-hmm. decoding the maze of Chinese restaurants in international city down to seven fantastic noodle dishes with their backstories, with our Chinese friend and a guide, because that makes a world of a difference in these places. So that is one of them. One that we're working on now is our global village tour. So that one will hopefully happen in the third week of January. I'm also working on a Barsha tour. So there's a couple of different things that we're constantly working on. And the other thing is we also just do one-off restaurant visits with our VIP Pass members. So we have a program called VIP Pass where... Basically, it's our way of staying connected with the community because for a tourism company, we are one of those odd ones out that actually probably serve as many residents as we do tourists. Mm -hmm. And these are people who've stayed in touch with us for so long. We just want to meet with them, not even in a tour format. Like we want to, for example, share uh, a banana leaf Keralite meal for Onam or one of the things I'm planning right now is an Emirati seafood fest in the middle of nowhere. You know, so it's just this. It's like activating different parts of the city and different cultures Mm. just the common theme is getting around with great people over great food and are they mainly walking tours our regular experiences are mainly walking tours but i think that's amazing you eat burn off a calorie then eat again and it just (laughs) it's a it's a great way of doing it 100 (laughs) absolutely i know i love it all right then don't go anywhere arava we're going to come back because we're going to talk about some global village and some tips on a a cheap night out which has got some atmosphere if you're on a date you're listening to farmer's kitchen on dubai i 103.8 with spinnies eat well live well so arava what can you recommend around global village when it comes to food and pop-ups there Sure. So one of the first places most of us like to hit up when we're there is the Thai floating market that Mm -hmm. they have. So you just head down to the Thai floating market and they have a whole bunch of different stalls selling all kinds of seafood and skewers and everything. But I think the main thing that you should get there, which is usually harder to get in other parts of the city, is their uh, grilled mussels. I love mussels. Right. And so they just slap those mussels out on the grill and then you can pick between a sort of like a basil lemon sauce that Mm. they have and then a Thai spicy, which is actually really not that spicy at all. I think they've toned it down over the years, Uh, but a really uh, spicy Thai spicy uh, sauce. It's a sort of a red and ominous looking red colored sauce that they splash on there and those just because of that those sauces that they use is absolutely delicious Mm. and in the past i've also loved their scallops but they are a little bit pricier this year so i say better value for money are going to definitely be the muscles yeah everything's gone up that's why i think you know this sounds crazy i had i'm just saying putting this out there because i think i must have been another dimension and and don't know what happened but i got a kettle of hot water with fresh mint and lemon and guess how much they charged me ava at this cafe, 22 dirhams. I was oh. like, sorry? And I sat there going, did I just hear that right? I paid for it. And then my friend said, how do you... Uh, anyway, things have gone up. That's Even hot water has <laughs> gone up. 100%. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you, um, uh, what about some other restaurants there? That we've got some... On your list, we've got Iran, Syrian, Pakistan, yeah. Sudanese. I think the, the, the Japanese takoyaki. Have you ever had takoyaki? What is that? I must have had it. Yes, I'm sure I have, but I just don't recognize the name. All right, so yaki is like how you have teppanyaki or anything with yaki yes. at the end. It's basically like grill, but taco is octopus. So they're basically these little um, 
sort of almost like flour dumplings, wheat flour dumplings, mm. which have little nubs of octopus in them. And it's really beautiful to watch how they make it on. I think they, they look like sort of these cast iron pans in which very similar to how you make those tiny Dutch pancakes. Mm. But the technique of making it is very different because they're actually shaping the liquid batter into balls as it's setting on the cast iron. So it's really fascinating to, to just stand there and watch. And what you get out are these piping hot. And when I say piping hot, I did a little juggling uh, match <laughs> in my mouth because I was too impatient to wait. And I saw like every me. customer off. Literally, each customer was warning the next one, like, hey, what you're about to bite into this, just don't. Uh, oh, because man. you have to wait for a good, like, at least seven minutes until it, um, it, it reaches a temperature that you can bite into it. But they are so creamy. Wow. And just the octopus is cooked perfectly. And then they top it up with all kinds of things, which I don't even know what they are. One of them tasted... Like, uh, almost like a little bit of uh, smoked chicken flavor. Mm. I really doubt it was smoked chicken. I don't know. Maybe it was smoked fish flakes. Um, they usually have little, like, uh, sauce splashed on. So it's very textural. Like, you'll have that creamy sauce. You'll have little bits of almost like crunchy tempura. I think they probably throw in bonito flakes as well. So it's just one of those things where you just keep going in one after the other with your skewer and you cannot stop. That is the Japanese takoyaki. I love the way you describe food. Whoever isn't hungry is going to be hungry after this segment, I can tell you right now. And anything else you recommend? Yeah, so, when, you know, when I walked into the Iran pavilion, there was a lot of music and just people standing around. Um, I was less interested in the music because I could smell butter and sugar in the air. And I was like, where is this coming from? <laughs> is there a pancake being made? <laughs> Everyone's looking at the stage and I'm like, let me take a right towards butter and sugar. And then I saw the most amazing thing. So in Dubai, whenever you go to these Iranian sweet shops, they sell this very addictive thing that they always give you samples. That's the one thing you can get a sample of because they know that they will hook you. Wow, what is this Dubai. sample? It's basically a saffron pistachio brittle. Oh, it's that sounds nice. Brittle. It's saffron and pistachio. It makes for a beautiful festive table, actually. It's just a really nice thing to have there along with some mint tea now that you mentioned it. Um, and Usually you get you just get it ready made like these these round sort of discs and you break off little pieces of it. Yeah. Uh, but there they were actually making it. It was the first time I got to see how Sohan, uh, which is what the sweet is called, is made. And they had the artisan. He was an older man in there, and you could see how he was stretching this liquid batter and how it was setting and how they were sort of cooking it on the butter. It was just a whole other experience. And of course, I took away a few samples. I'm actually typing in on Google Iranian Sohan so I can yeah. see what it looks like. I'm sure yeah. I've had this. But it, sure. it looks very much like Indian Matyai, the the shape. It it looks like that, but it honestly it <gasps> I've had it. it you ha okay, it, isn't good. it isn't it similar to like in Indian we have gachak, you know, with the nuts and stuff? Uh, kind of, but the texture of gajak is a little bit different. Yeah. Oh no, I need to try. I, I've had this and it's good. It, just looking at the pictures, it's making so me. Good. I, I can imagine it over ice cream as well. Like oh my god! Up, and then you put it over ice cream. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, so why, I mean, why, why don't you just open a restaurant? Seriously, you've got so many great ideas. You can like, steal them all. So too much work. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I know. What about um, Sudanese? I haven't had any Sudanese food here. All right. So the Sudanese place. This one I'm going to leave as 
hunt it down if you can find it because this is something that we're going to so we're going to be doing a global village tour in the third week of jan and mm-hmm. this is one of those things i want to show people so join if you can't find it uh but there is a sudanese lady uh and her team in global village that are selling these i, I don't know if i'm pronouncing this wrong but agashi skewers and they're basically flattened meat which are coated in powdered peanut and they're sold with a white creamy very innocent looking sauce that is actually just straight up fire do you know every time you explain something i feel like you're telling me a secret so i get close to the mic because you're like sapunam there's this sudanese lady and she <laughs> literally it's like a storytelling of the food you're so good i'm so, yeah anyway carry on carry on i'm listening So yeah so this uh, now I didn't realize when you look at a white sauce you're not thinking spicy hmm. right our brains don't think that so I just got this it was coated in powdered peanuts it was so juicy so soft it just I wasn't expecting I never had that before from a Sudanese place I know that Sudanese food is just fantastic this is exactly why I got attracted to the place and I took this white sauce and I smeared it all over the kebab okay that was just a really silly move on my part and then I was on fire. I mean I was running. I will tell you one thing Global Village is not selling Laban. I have checked. I checked everywhere and they were not selling Laban and finally things got down to a manageable level. Uh but it was much later when my friends actually I was like you guys have to try this skewer it's so good but it's so spicy. And then they were like it is the sauce and I would not have anticipated that but I had I had smeared it all over so I had kind of done the damage. Oh, you need your own food TV show. I would watch you in a heartbeat. <laughs> you're just hilarious. You're hilarious. That moment was hilarious when I went running around Global Village. I was like does someone have Laban? What why is nobody selling Laban? That to me is the untapped opportunity. I wouldn't open a restaurant but I would definitely sell Laban standing right next to the Sydney's lady. So so when you're doing these global um village uh, food tours with people and they book right. them is it you taking them on the tours? So we haven't actually launched this one yet. We'll mm-hmm. only offer it once, maybe twice in the season. And we're going to do it like I said in the um third week of Jan and it will be me who will be doing that because this one I've researched. So for example, my sister Frida has researched the international city tour with uh Shini who is our Chinese guide so they do that one but the global village is going to be my baby. Okay. I I would definitely come on your tours. I just, I just find you so <laughs> humorous agree. but so passionate about your food. I love it. Um finally I I'm I've been in a I've been known to go for less quality food if the atmosphere of a place is really good and I've been told off for that but the atmosphere of an ambiance and music and the view makes a big right. difference to my eating experience right. now the weather's good if people are out there on a date night or you know looking for somewhere nice anywhere that you recommend without breaking the bank absolutely a uh, one of my favorite sort of intimate atmospheric experiences with a boat ride is an old vai at the creek So what you do is you start near the spice soup and you take an abra ride obviously if you want it to be special please don't just you know pay the wonderum and sit with like 18 other people on a communal yeah, yeah. abra that's a cheap date girls if someone takes <laughs> takes on a wonderum ride Yeah exactly just pay 18 dirhams more make it around 20 okay and 20 dirhams for a private abra it is not going to break the bank Oh that's nice okay? and romantic 
Right, so you take a private Agra, maybe at sunset, across to the Pardubai side of mm. the creek. And the thing is, you actually get parking on the Spice Souk side. So there's a multi-story parking. You could park your car in there, take the Agra ride over, or even better, take a metro if you want. Uh, and then once you're on the Pardubai side, inside the textile souk itself is a tiny Yemeni restaurant called Rubo. Al Mandi. It's R O B O U Al Mandi. Yeah. And the if you are someone who loves meat in any of its forms, this is the place for you. For for example, around seventy five dirhams, you can get a massive, slow cooked, just completely fall off the bone lamb shoulder or even lamb ribs over a platter of rice and it is insane it is so so good you just you'll be like i want to pay more for this uh the other thing that they also do is a beef stew called beef fasa it's basically like shredded meat and it's served in a very special um it's just like a limestone pot they bring it out so it's, it's sizzling as it comes out and because it's in a limestone pot it is getting hotter and thicker it sort of thickens as it sits and you get it with one of those massive breads the yemeni mulawa bread and you just pick out the bread and you scoop it in i mean either one of the two it's just for two people getting all of that is a little bit excessive i would pick either a rice based meal or the bread and the stew and just go with that along with their karkade which is their hibiscus drink and honestly it will be hard i think for you to spend more than 130 140 dirhams Well, we are running out of time, but I just want to tell everyone, if you want to keep listening to the way that she speaks about food, they do have a podcast. What's it called? It is called Deep Fried. And <laughs> I love it. We don't, we don't unfortunately have any more seasons of the show. We, we, we recorded three, but if you want to hear more of Food Speak, definitely join us on the tour. No, I, I've had so much fun and I know you couldn't come in today and you wanted to. So we'll have to get you in again next time. And, and, and they can go onto your website and your Instagram, which is Frying yeah. Pan Adventures, to find out about all the tours that you're doing and the one coming up on Global Village. That's right? Absolutely, that's absolutely right. Oh. Thank you so much. Arva, thank you so much for making my tummy rumble. I appreciate it. You take care. Bye-bye. Have a lovely new year. Bye-bye. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. So we've all heard of co-working spaces that have been on the rise over the past decade or two. And now we're hearing a lot about co-kitchens. And with me at the moment is, I've got three guests. We're going to go through them one by one. I'm going to start off with Laika Velez, who handles the marketing at the co-kitchens. Welcome, Laika. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? So I, I've spoken to, if I'm correct, um, the founder of co-kitchens, is it mm-hmm. Shaz? Yeah. And he started the whole co-working space. Mm-hmm. So is this an extension of that? Yeah, it it does feel like a very natural progression, right? Um, you know, Dubai, um, you have lots of entrepreneurs, um, and one of them, obviously, the biggest ones would be, you know, a food entrepreneur. So it, it almost seemed like a natural progression. Um, and also, you know, Shaz, he understands the entrepreneur journey more than anyone else, even though he's been doing this for the longest time. Mm. Um, he never really lost sight of that. Um, and, you know, foodies, like you said earlier, you know, You know, everybody loves food. You know, most of the people in this country are, are foodies. Um, and some of those people have dreams like, you know, our food heroes who are sitting with us right now. Um, and we basically allow for that dream to become 
more attainable um, at a quicker time frame, at a more cost-effective uh, solution as well. So first of all, tell me what is in this kitchen? Like how many companies can it hold? So currently we are at about 30 food concepts. So that's 30 different foodpreneurs um, uh, from a variety of food concepts. Um, we have a cloud kitchen and a satellite kitchen. So each of our concepts might have different needs. Um, some of them might need to deliver um, at a specific parameter. Um, we have food concepts who don't only use our kitchen, let's say, to to create prepackaged food. They also use it for um, menu development. And I think that's you know a lot of the appeal of, you know, having a shared commercial grade kitchen is, you know, you could have been doing this for a long time, uh, or, you know, you are um, a food startup. Um, a lot of our uh, members are food heroes. They are in their idea stage, and this is their chance to then, you know, experiment in the kitchen, develop, you know, their recipes, develop the next thing that they want to offer for, for their customers. So when you say like 30 uh, food heroes or 30 companies in the kitchen, can there be 30 in one time in these kitchens? No. no, so we have a very good system, which I think Amani and Ahmed can talk about. Sorry, um, Aswati and um, Ahmed can talk about. Um, but we do a rotation um, and it's quite easy for them to schedule their time in the kitchen. So let's say um, when people join the uh, co-kitchen, do you vet them? How do you choose or is it just pay, you know, pay month, uh, yearly annual membership? So we look at whoever is, you know, approaching us to start their food concept and really look at it um, and see, you know, do they already have an, you know, an idea of what this vision is and where it's going to go in the next, you know, five years, let's say, do they already have a business plan? Um, you know, a lot of the food concepts who have found their way to us are very serious about their dream. Um, and I think, you know, Aswati and Ahmed can also share, you know, how they found, found their way to us and what the process was like. Um, but we are, you know, very invested in what drives them, what their story is, um, you know, and, and supporting local as well. Um, you know, these are people who have taken a leap, um, a lot of them with a lot of, you know, putting a lot of thought into taking that leap. It's, you know, it's seen as a one of the biggest risks you can take uh, to start your own food business. So let, let me say, let's say there's somebody listening out there and they want to, you know, think about starting their own business. Let's say I'm going to make samosas for everybody and get them yep. delivered with loads of 10 different flavor samosas. And I come to you and say, this is my idea. Mm -hmm. What will you do when it comes to maybe helping me, mentoring if it's my first business? Yep. So our team um, of experts... Um, we have, you know, apart from offering all the tools that you need in terms of infrastructure to operate your business, um, we also have a team who can guide you, mentor you um, with the strategy of your business. And um, we're very honest about it. We don't sugarcoat, you know, how big of a challenge it is because that wouldn't be doing anyone any favors. Um, we really want to set you up to succeed as much as we can. Um, and if it means, for example, you know, we tell our members, um, you know, maybe this packaging isn't right. Maybe this packaging isn't shareworthy. Maybe there's something uh, that makes it difficult to take a photo of because you want people to take photos, you know, of this big reveal of this delicious thing you've put your heart and soul into that, you know, yeah. they've bought that they've purchased from you. It's those things. Or maybe, you know. Is your slogan, you know, clear enough? Does it describe what you're offering? Is it exciting? Um, 
it, does it convey exactly what you're offering? Um, so we're, we're very honest about these aspects uh, because we do really want to see these brands succeed. How, how long has it been open now? Um, almost two years. So have you seen successes go from um, the co-kitchen, meaning they've started off as like, you know, delivery, food delivery, mm-hmm. and now they've opened their own restaurants or they've mm-hmm. expanded in any capacity? Yep. Um, we, we really look at them as our success stories because we are an incubator for, you know, foodpreneurs, for food startups. So seeing them go off and do their own thing and expand is a success story for us. So mm. um, I remember Ahmed mentioned to me that um, how he found the co-kitchens was actually through a previous member who um, is no longer a member with us, but that's because she's expanded. Um, so it was nice that, um, you know, we got that really great recommendation, but then we know she's doing well. We're still following her. We're, we're still supporting her. Um, and, you know, uh, it's, it's nice to be a part of their journey. Okay. Well, we're going to be talking to two of your food heroes next, so stay tuned. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. Hope you're having a great Friday, the last Friday before New Year's. Now, we are talking co-kitchens, and uh, we've just had a chat with the marketing of the co-kitchen, the lady behind that, and now we are talking to one of the so-called food heroes. And I am with a young man called Ahmed, who has created... A food concept called Jinxies. Welcome to the show, Ahmed. Thank you for having me. So um, what is Jinxies? Unusual name. Um, the name was just uh, on a whim. Uh, we had basically got the recipe down and the product was good. Then we had to come to branding and designing and I needed a name. And don't ask me why Jinxies just came to it mind. It just came to your mind. It's just catchy. People liked it and Jinxie. I just stuck with it. And then we just ran a whole brand with that. But you know what's funny? You can't actually tell what it, the produce actually is by the name. So it's quite intriguing. Tell everybody what it is. So what we've done, or at least what I've done, is um, the product is chili crisp. And chili crisp is a condiment which not only has a lot of flavor, but it has a huge textural component. So it's basically a ch- uh, chili oil base with, in my case, fried garlic, fried shallots, peanuts, and sesame seeds. Mm. And that all comes together to create a condiment that's, as we call it, umami with a bit of a kick. So what happens when you taste it, it's not about spice because it's not a chili sauce. We're not trying to just give you a hot condiment. There's a lot going on in there. So there's sweet, there's salty, there's savory, there's crunchy. And so you have different flavors? That's the whole point. How many flavors do you have? As of now, we have four in the range. We've got about two more coming probably with the first month of 2024. So are these oils basically to cook with or to pour over or to dribble on salads? You can literally, literally put it on anything. And yeah. I mean, it came to me during the pandemic time when we were all locked in. TikTok was taking off and viral recipes were a thing. And yeah. this was a recipe that took off in the West and it was all over the place. And I had a go at it and I perfected the recipe. And I just saw giving out his gifts once things got back to normal. And, okay. you know, as you do, you go to a barbecue or a gathering. And the feedback was so positive. Like, mind you, this was never a dream of mine initially to open a food establishment. Mm. It was never in my plan to one day I'll have so-and-so. Yeah. It just reached a point where, and I kept pushing aside, like, sure thing. And I think about eight months of mass persuasion and people started paying for it, where it suddenly became a factor of, is this an actual viable business. So how, how many were you having to make? What, like the maximum amount, When what point did you get to? Was it 20 a week or more? Oh, um, as in sales? On average, I'm going through, if we're talking about liters, I'm making at least 12 liters a day. 
12 litres a day. That's easy. And yeah. you're doing a full-time job at the same time. No, this is, I've basically like, dove in the, like, into the deep end with this. So in January, I made the official move with the Coke Kitchens. So before that, I was working still as a writer, as a copywriter. Mm-hmm. And it just got too taxing. And I just had to sit down with my wife and go, okay, do I take the leap with this or not? And she was very supportive. Like, God bless her. She really helped her with the process. I spoke to my friends. They were all for it. And I just said, what the heck? And spoke to co-kitchens. They were really encouraging. And they gave me the logistic and the backup what I needed when I looked at the. See, the thing is, when you think about these things, it's always in the back of your head as in a dream. But then when you have that real conversation with yourself, like, do I actually yeah. want to do this? And I decided to do it full time because I didn't want to have a safety net because I feel, at least for myself, if I had my safety net, it would always be kind of half in, half out, never recommitting. Now, what I've done is when I said, let's do this, this is what I do full time. So what happens is all my efforts, all my energy, all my thought goes towards the business. So whatever happens next, at least I can say it was with my full concentration of heart in it. So when you started this up as, as a hobby, a hobby is always fun. When you take it seriously and you've quit your full-time job to do this, is it still fun or is there more pressure on you now because it's your full-time job? It's a bit of both. So yeah. what happens is this. You've got to, I would encourage anyone to follow their dreams, but I understand that, especially if you're married or older, hmm. that big risk conversation. Yeah. Everyone's going to have that conversation. And it's not just about money. It's about time. It's about restarting over. So... God forbid this fails, but let's be realistic with ourselves. You have to look at yourselves honestly and mm. concisely and say, do I accept the road ahead? Because there are many good concepts that do fail and they try again. It happens. This is the reality of it. You have to really look at it and go, am I willing to put myself into this and see where this goes and put my heart into it? So one of the biggest things, I've been here 16 years, and I think one of the biggest things that I think, I'm going to say it out loud, Dubai doesn't do very well is marketing. There's so many things opening, happening here that, that people don't always hear about. And now we're so oversaturated with social media information. There's a festival here. There's a new restaurant opened here. It, there needs to be more focus in some capacity. And I still think it isn't doing very well. So a co-kitchen helping you when it comes to marketing or how are you doing that to get the word out? So what co-kitchen did for me is this. So I've been an amateur chef most of my life, but strictly amateur. Mm. If you have no idea what you're doing, it's a very, it's a layered business. There's a lot of things to look at. What the co-kitchens did for me is, don't forget, things like licensing or municipality approvals. You're dealing with food. You need to be up to standards. So I dare anyone to try to do this by yourselves. It's a lot of digging and work. That probably cut my process by a fourth of the time. Mm. One. Two, they are experts in the field, meaning Shaz and Laika have done this before and worked with many concepts in the positive and the negative. That is invaluable when you're starting from scratch because that saves you time and time is money. So if they can tell me something that would have taken six months to figure out in a couple of weeks, that's valuable. And it's really good to have people that bounce ideas back off. So when I speak to them, so like I've had meetings with Laika and Shaz. We've gone through everything from design and branding to sales avenues to marketing strategies. And if something's good, they'll tell me to my face, that's a good idea. If Mm. not, they'll say, how about uh, try this or try an option B or C. So... I mean, it's invaluable. Any any expertise or feedback is valuable. So right now, we can buy these oils online. That's right, at Jinxies. That's right. What about, are you supplying or planning to do that to supermarkets around town? Well, we've already managed to get into some restaurants. And right. I've done the markets. So I was at Ripe Market. I was at El Circal with the Cave Events. And to answer your question earlier about marketing, marketing is key. But I feel, especially with a new product, 
my face-to-face meetings and events and selling has really pushed the product. I agree. People really want to connect a face to your product. And if it's good, it's good. But when they see you, so when they meet me and they go, oh, where do you get these from? And I go, oh, I make them. I think people miss that connection. So that helps. And how often do you have to spend in the Coke kitchen like every day or is it? Oh, not every day. For my business model. So with the Coke kitchens, what's nice is there isn't just one plan. They speak to you and there's a bunch of plans that suit you. Mm -hmm. Because I'm making chili oils that sit well and are in jars, I'm not running a catering business. I can make a big batch on, say, a Friday. And go on holiday for a week. (laughs) Pretty much. And that should hold me if I calculate it correctly. That's a really good idea to get into this business. He knows what he's doing. (laughs) It's the way. So for me, I can have them sit. And in my case, in fact, they get better because they age. And as they age, they get better. So. I actually need one full day at the kitchen, meaning to make 200, 300 yards, whatever the number is. And then they'll sit till the next time I'm in. I don't need to be in there every day. It's not worth it. From my model, I don't need to do that. Great. Well, I wish you well. I've never heard a writer pivot to, you know, chili oil, but that is amazing. (laughs) But I wish you all the best. Um, We're going to be back with a second food hero. um, All that after the break. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. Now, we're talking about the co-kitchen and the people that work out of there, the F&B startups, uh, the companies, they are called food heroes. We've already spoken to Jinxies, the founder, Ahmed, this here. And we've also talked to the marketing manager, Laika Velez, who is part of the co-kitchen team. And now we're talking to founder Ashwati, and she's created Crumble's Custom Bakes. I like the name. How are you, Ashwati? Hi, thank you. I'm so good. I've seen these cakes on Instagram. They're so, so good. Is this something that was a hobby of yours that turned into a business or are you actually a trained baker? Uh, so it began when I was 15. Um, so it was just a regular recipe in a women's magazine that comes so, comes back home. And uh, the 15 year old me was super proud of what I had done, you know, that perfectly recent cake. And my mom was super supportive as well. I come from a family of entrepreneurs and uh, but they all had like different niche. All of them had different niche. It was not like one family business and um you know, everybody assumed different roles in the same thing. So I felt this is what I wanted to do. And um, and imagine this was a time like 20 years back uh, when there is no social media, the yeah. lack of resources, um, you know, Internet and all that things. So uh, but we had to experiment. And I find it was it was an amazing experience feeling. And then uh you know, uh, I moved to Dubai. Uh, once I moved to Dubai, I did take up a course uh, with Wilton. It was a basic decorating uh, course. And I think uh, it was, you know, how to stack the perfect cake and do all that. And then it just, uh, as if when you just said that about you, when you saw the cakes, like I've never realized myself to be a very creative person mm. when I was young. But, uh, you know, as you go forward, you keep learning and you keep doing different things, especially now with social media and YouTube. There's so much more out there and easier for us to, you know, learn and progress. I, I like watching. I don't know if you've seen that food show all about cakes. Yes. Um, they make really big cakes. <laughs> yes. and, and every time they have to deliver it to a wedding, I'm like, oh, my God, if this they spent three days making this cake, if they drop it. Right. So first of all, cakes aren't easy. They take time. They take patience. Right. It's not like making a pasta and delivering it. Yes, of course. See, it's not like uh, somebody orders a cake and you just make it, uh, you know, put all the frosting together and deliver it. It takes uh, even for a a normal cake, it takes at least for a home baker or, you know, for a regular baker, it takes at least like two days time because Mm. you need to source the ingredients. See, everything is done. It's a single uh, 
person <laughs> business yeah. so everything takes a lot of time you may need to plan you know the design to get the color combinations right and all that so it does take time and uh, delivery is of course a big thing uh, to be done here especially in the UAE so so that's one thing i, I forgot to ask both you and amit actually are you both just a single person in the kitchen doing this you don't have any help for me no it's just me it's amit? just myself yeah that's it. it's just you oh wow so you so how long does it take to make the average cake like how many are you making or is it per order it's per order because uh for me so initially when i started uh like here when i got uh, within the co kitchen like uh, the initial thing was just because before i got licensed there was and i started one of the challenges i faced was you know people to know because you know dubai it's a saturated market there are a lot of people out there uh, but i wanted to go out and participate in markets because i felt um, you know i love connecting to people in person and i needed to understand what people really like because there are different people doing different things and uh, so that was one of the reasons for me to get licensed um, and um, i started participating in markets and i met people i understood what they want and uh, um that's how it progressed um so with respect to the delivery part uh, obviously there are still challenges there are sometimes i'm sure ahmed also agrees that we sometimes do it ourselves yeah. even after all the baking because it's something that we don't we can't take the risk you know and there are uh, you know if it's a birthday party there's a time specific maybe the venue doesn't have a chiller or something something like that so there are a lot of factors which go into it uh, from sourcing again like from sourcing packaging everything uh, it is single only done how many cakes on average do people order from you then in a week uh, so it depends like because i specialize not just in cakes because we do other parts other dessert options as well uh, so it it sometimes it can be just custom cookies or but uh, on an average uh, like for i'll give you an average like Christmas is a peak season. So in the last 3 weeks I've done almost like 620 cookies alone. Uh so there are a lot of other things that we do. Obviously, it's about work-life balance and with small kids it's a bit of a <laughs> All right, so let me ask you. You talked about 12 liters, Amit. You talk about 600 plus cookies. Now, in my head, if it's just both of you working individually, you possibly could do it in your own kitchen. So why go to a co-kitchen? Because uh let me tell you. Um See as you know there are like I said a lot of food concepts are here now I'll tell you my story of why I wanted to be licensed uh there was a lot of collaborations that came across to me one was an ice cream company they wanted uh something uh related to vegan based goods so that was a time I was not doing it mm-hmm. I had not started it and uh, so I decided I'm anyways going to give it a try because might as well try it you need to know everything and um I tried but the collaboration didn't happen the only reason was because i was not licensed because in dubai we needed a food watch permit in order to sell to uh you know other companies not just licensed you need a food watch permit so if you uh, maybe i should ask you actually if there you have a food watch permit um let's say if i was selling cakes online and i'm marketing it if i get a license and a permit can i still do it is is that possible like a you can do it on your own um I think the other thing which both of them had touched upon uh separately is it's not just the kitchen it's 
a community and a network that you're signing up for as well. Um, and again, going back to the previous point of it being a commercial grade kitchen where we've had members who are able to double the volume of their production. So, you know, if you want to move out and obviously do it in a legal way and, you know, move out of your, your kitchen and do it in a professional kitchen, you know, we are the avenue for that. So you talk about community. Um, do you guys like like know each other, see each other regularly, help each other when you're in the kitchen? Is it because you're on a rotor? Do you see the same people then? Um, so, um, so the thing is, we uh, we have a lot of members in the kitchen, and we are all booked in at different time slots. Uh, but the best part is that uh, the co kitchens or the co spaces they have a community breakfast uh, every month, and we do tend to go there and relax. We have breakfast, we talk to each other, so we get to connect. Even though at the kitchen we do have support system, wherein uh, th- that is why I'm saying, like for uh, a business owner, like we take up different roles. Like I am doing it alone. So for me to do from uh, marketing or to, you know, shoot content, that's where Laika comes in to help. She yeah. uh, shoots all, be- all the behind the scenes, the days we book her in. So she helps us with a lot of content. So we don't worry about that, but the days we are in the kitchen. And uh, Shaz has got a mentorship program. So we do it once a month uh, with Shaz. We get on a call. He analyzes our uh, profile, uh, you know, our website and tells us what changes we have to make. So f- to get information from somebody so experienced in the FNB industry here, uh, it makes a lot of difference. So in in those ways, even um, like we have a community manager who's Amani, and she's amazing. So see what I'm saying is for every food based business here in the UAE, there's a lot of things they have to handle. Mm. Uh, other than the forget about the baking part or anything like you know the food watch permit to participate at different markets or whether it be the because we have got I've got uh, Crumbles has got some pantry staples as well. So we have got like uh, like the keto cookies and all that. So these are packaged products. So we need food labels and all that. So Amani helps us with respect to, you know, the co-kitchen helps us with respect to the labeling part, you know, getting approved by the municipality. So overall, for a idea stage business or a startup, it's a lot of support that, uh, you know, we that need. we get. And there's a lot of support that we need because there's not a lot of information readily available out there on the uh, on the F&B industry. Because if you see, if you take a, a baking business, all the bakers, for example, uh, let it be a Mr. Baker or Sugarholic or whatever, they have their own commercial kitchen. And 80% of the other bakers, they're not licensed. Mm. You understood? So yeah. it is very few of them who are actually licensed through a commercial kitchen space. So and there's a lot of lack of information. And that's when the co-kitchen actually helps us, uh, you know, for different stages. And uh, the support that they give is um, tremendous. So where, are, where is the co-kitchen? So we have our cloud kitchen in Jabal Ali. We have a satellite kitchen in Al Sufu. Um, we also have a branch in London, actually. You do. Oh um, yes, so you we're, do. Yeah, so we're so we are planning to expand soon in further in the UAE and um, in London. And are you still open to other people, food heroes, joining you? Like, do you still have space? Because you say you have thirty right now. Yep. How yeah. many can you take <laughs> on? So I can't, I I don't know the exact number of how many we can take on. I mean, like, you know, they mentioned earlier, everyone sort of has a different need in a model. So everything is looked at at a case to case basis. Um, We even upgraded our, um, our Jebel Ali kitchen recently, where now it has a private kitchen. So we have some really exciting new concepts that are coming up uh, in the next year, which I can't reveal just yet, but we will. Um, So there's, there's, Definitely new things coming. 
There's um, new things coming. Yeah. So any top tips, Ahmed, that you would give to anybody who's in your position before a few months ago that wants to start their own company? Hmm. Literally from, say, from being a writer to a, you know, an F&B, that's a big change. I would say, at least for this environment, this is, in my opinion, one of the best ways to go about it. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not going to go into the exact numbers here, but to do this independently, and I mean by municipality law, my own kitchen space, my own staffing, the DED licensing, whatever it is from scratch to what I'm getting at the co-kitchens for the same outcome mm. is probably, I'm not exaggerating, a tenth of the price. Wow. Just because, and it's fair, and I respect them for this, because when you handle food, it's a big responsibility because health and safety is everything. Yeah. If you've got someone who's selling food, he's not licensed, he's not trained, you know, you can deal with horrible situations like food poisoning or whatnot. So I, I agree with it. But in a day, if you don't have that kind of capital, it's stressful, it's headache, it's str it's hard to get into that. So this is the way to go about it. And like like I said earlier, I was actually referred to a friend of mine who her food concept is doing really well. Mm. And I had seen the reviews online and seen what they're about. I had even met them in person, but I asked her feedback and she was with them for phase one and she had nothing but rave reviews. So that vote of confidence, basically it's like, I know this person, I trust what they're doing and they speak well of them. So it's like a reference thing. I felt comfortable. and. I mean, we started in July, so I'm just hitting six months now. And I can only imagine the headache doing this solo. Yeah. Not to say it can't be done, but it would probably be really a really hard time. Yeah, so I would advise go this route. It has its benefits and it's very cost effective. Okay. And any final message tip that you have, Ashwati? Um, I would say that uh, most of the business owners, like dealing with F&B here, they need to realize the opportunities that come across when you're licensed is amazing. So, and I think it's the right way to do it. And it also gives us an opportunity to be out there, be confident, uh, you know, and meet the people in person when you do, like, you know, do markets and all that. So I think it's the right way is to find, um, you know, how to get licensed and do the yeah, rest yeah. that's the biggest thing and like um what's next so we've got co-wardrobes coming up where we can all share no, clothes as far as i know I mean, I'll, 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 I'll have to ask shaz when he comes back yeah um but i'm getting bored of my wardrobe i just think that's <laughs> the next best idea i mean we'll have to see <laughs> i mean it's entrepreneurship like we said it's so broad it's so wide who knows amazing all right thank you all three of you for coming and i really appreciate it wish you all the best i want to give you all a shout out right tell them your instagram ashwati so they can order some cakes it's crumbles underscore shosha and you, Amit? Uh, it's at Jinxie's DXP. And Laika? The co-kitchens underscore Dubai. There you go.